So we all prefer a life of perfect safety and peace and we much prefer risk-free environments and everything to be clear clear seas right this is what we we want the reality is there are dangers everywhere so if you think about some of the most statistically safe environments think, okay, well, okay, because I live in this area, I'm safe. And yet, just as much difficulty arises in people's lives in those places that are statistically safe. And then you've got other environments where statistically they're dangerous. And of course, there's, there's uh, statistics that back up these numbers, but to enter into a statistically unsafe environment it does not preclude or change the reality that God has all of our names written in a book, all the days of our lives written in a book before there was ever one of them. So statistics are only statistics. The reality is, our God sovereignly rules. Our God sovereignly reigns. He is to be trusted. While life is filled with uncertainties and challenges and dangers all around us, something changes the dynamic of it all, and that is the promise and the presence of our great God. The promise and presence of our great God changes everything. This morning as we read through this text, it's been read one time already, we'll be working our way, meditating our way through this, we see a a very fearful circumstance. It's real fear. True, genuine, heartfelt fear with much reason behind the fear. Real fear. And yet, in the face of that real fear, real peace entered the equation. The peace the Prince of Peace entered into the equation. And it changed not only in the environment, it changed the mindset and heart of those that were there. Let's take a look, please, at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Our text records, When evening came, His disciples were down, or went down, to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about two or, excuse me, three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Let's kind of get our minds back to where we've been in our study. The, mount, the, the, the disciples had just had a mountaintop experience. Like, literally, they were on the side of a mountain. And Jesus multiplied loaves and fish for them. 
for them and for some 20,000 people additionally. They collected more leftovers in one basket of the 12 than they had in the original amount of food provided for that meal. Just mind-blowing. And the crowds responded to this sign saying, this must be the prophet. And if he's the prophet promised, he then also is our rescuing king. And he is going to free us from the bondage that we've experienced from the Romans and all the promises will be ours. The crowds responded. And the disciples, you just imagine that their hearts were roaring with excitement. This is what they came for. They followed Jesus so that this scene could unfold that people would say, let's make Him our King. And they're like, yeah, let's do that thing. That's where they are. It's happening. It's happening. The people are finally seeing who Jesus really is. They're finally getting it. He's the the Messiah, the promised one. And they want to make Him King. This is exactly what we've been waiting for. The scene is just incredible. And then, screeching halt. Jesus tells His disciples to go across the sea. Get in the boat, go across the sea. Jesus dismisses the crowd. Go home. Spend nice. Have a good night. We'll see you another time. And He retreats into the mountains Himself to pray. As the disciples loaded the boat up, got in the boat, and start rowing across the sea, what do you think their conversation was like? What do you think they were thinking? Did you see? Did you see that? Every time we opened the basket and and we're at the next crowd of 50, there was more food, more bread, more fish. They kept eating and they were eating and they were eating until they were full. Did you, you're, this is incredible. And do you see the response? Did you see that guy? I thought he was going to be so mad. And instead, he said, let's make Jesus king. What was that conversation like? We have no idea. Nobody records it. God knows about it. The disciples were there. For all this excitement, this enthusiasm, for this incredible scene, uh, the disciples were, were spent physically. They were just exhausted. And the reason you can know that is they had just come back from a mission. They were telling Jesus all the things they had done. Jesus said, let's go by ourselves. <laughs> let's get some solace, solitude by ourselves. We're going to rest for a little bit. And in that moment of rest, the crowds come flocking to them. And so instead of resting, they were worrying, okay, how are we going to manage these crowds? And how are we going to make sure that everyone gets their, their food? Jesus actually teased it out. Hey, how are we going to feed all these people? <laughs> so, so their minds are stressed. Their bodies are stressed. They're, they're, they're distributing all the food. And then they're um, collecting all the remnants. They've got the 12 baskets. Are they this big baskets? How, how big are the baskets? We don't know. Big baskets filled with stuff. They're exhausted. 
then Jesus says, go load it into the, into the boat and go across. And they load it into the boat and then they start paddling their way across. Rowing their way across. Partway through this, when they're about three miles off, now the, the actual wording here, we have the translation of three or four miles. It's usually calculated in stadia. Has everyone has got a good stadia calculator on their phone? It's 20, uh, a stadia is 606 feet, seven, uh, six, 606.7. They were about 25 to 30 stadia off the shore. That means they went about just under three miles to maybe just under three and a half miles. Somewhere between three and three and a half miles. Ours just says three or four miles. Why do we talk about all that data? Have you ever done that? <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of rowing. They're spent. And so what I want to just kind of tease out and think about just for a moment, because this is real. Um, this all is real, but this, is, this kind of touches home. Fatigue makes everything more difficult. Fatigue makes everything more difficult. They were already spent. They're continuing spending their energy. Then, then they're on the, the sea and three miles of, of rowing in the midst of op- opposing wind in one account when they're in the middle of the, the sea. It's about three to six in the morning. Did they take a nap anywhere along the way? Probably not. They've, they've just been going. They've been at it. So it's evening in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Um, verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Uh, so if you've got, you're in the sea, and this is a normal thing in the Sea of Galilee. The way that it's shaped, the wind comes up comes down, blows, disturbs the sea. It's a recurring situation in the Sea of Galilee. But as they're heading across to Capernaum, which is their destination that Jesus told them to go to, the the wind is blowing in accordance with Mark, opposing them. The winds be a contrary to us. We're just kind of going. But every single stroke gets us no further because the wind is fighting against us. The question might be, should they turn back? Doesn't say it in the text. Doesn't say Peter saying, hey guys, I think we should turn back. It doesn't say it, but you're a human. And you're going. And everything is fighting against you. You're now in the middle. It's going to be much easier to turn tail and head back to where you came from since the wind is opposing you. Should they turn back? Isn't it usually our first instinct when we hit opposition? What is the path of least resistance? Why didn't they turn back? Again, we don't know. Just trying to get you to think a little bit with me. Why didn't they turn back? Jesus instructed them to go to the other side. The one that everyone wanted to make king said, go over there. So they said, okay. (laughs) They found opposition to that, but they had still received that instruction, so they they just followed through. They've they've made it three to four miles, three to three and a half miles across. Matthew says it's a long way from the land. They're in the middle of the sea. Um, Again, have you you rowed 
a kayak or a canoe? Have you ever rowed for three miles? Probably, maybe. Have you ever rowed a road, not rowed, like, <laughs> like actually using the paddle, <laughs> a kayak or a, a canoe against the current? It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. So these, these are brothers. They're in a situation where they are ripe for disaster. They've gone from tired to tireder to absolutely exhausted, and they're still in the middle of this storm, and fatigue just makes everything worse. I just can think, just kind of in our daily lives, when we get to that place of pushing against the edge of our, of our energy, you probably don't have that problem. The rest of us mortals do. When we run out of energy and we're fatigued, sometimes, anyone get a little bit chippy? Anyone get a little bit abrasive? Short-tempered? kind of normal they're in the midst of it how how does that go for you when you're just spent it's not usually very pleasant how about you're coming to the end of your your day and you're trying to get home and someone's cutting you off you try you're trying to go the speed limit and they want to go like grandma's speed limit they're on Coesit road on 20 going 25 miles an hour is the speed limit and they want to drive 20 you're like are you serious? Then you got the people on the other side of the road that they don't recognize that there's a line, a line in the middle of the street. You know those little two yellow lines? That means you stay on your side of the street, I stay on my side of the street. And they're like coming over onto your side of the street. It's like, come on, dude. It's like, not that hard. So I've never had this experience. You can tell. How about you've had a really, really long week? One of your ch- children is up sick all night. You got to go to work the next day, and you're like, just your mind is just. Bleh. You ever get that that fog? You just can't think clearly. Fatigue makes everything worse, and that's that's where our disciples, Jesus' disciples, people that we're looking at here, they're in the middle of this. They are spent. They're fatigued. Their mind is fogged. They've had this excitement, but now they're in the middle of this. Drama, this like real life, big time drama. So we've got fatigue making everything worse. And then when that happens, circumstances that we start to see can, can really make things look more bleak than they really are. So circumstances can paint a bleak picture. Again, we, we see the scene, strong winds. They're making no headway. They're super tired. The waves probably are crashing into the boat. Hey, my lunch is getting wet. (laughs) I need to eat that tomorrow. Keep the water out of the boat. You have the pail. I'm going to do this. Keep keep our stuff safe. Got a lot going on. And then, a ghost appears. It's like, what is happening? I'm just trying to get to the other side. And now there's a ghost. Look at verse 19. 
when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were, what does it say? Frightened. So John's recounting it. He knew in, when he was writing it down, he knew this was Jesus. He didn't know this was Jesus when he was experiencing it. Because if he saw Jesus, it wouldn't have been frightening and it wouldn't have felt like a ghost was there. So he's recording this. This little important nugget comes up in verse 17. Right at the end of verse 17. Will you read the second part of verse 17 with me? It starts with it. Ready? It was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The situation was perilous to them because they were alone in it. They had exhausted themselves. They were making no headway. They felt in danger, Jesus wasn't there. And now, a ghost arrives. Matthew's version of this in Matthew 14.26 says, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. So now, brothers and sisters, we know that this is a historic account. It's not science fiction. And it's not an allegory. But it can, this scene, can point us to some realities that we experience when circumstances start to stack up against us. And you know what that feels like. It's like one thing after the other and it feels like it's just pressing, pressing down. When these things happen, we can start to blow things out of proportion. This is one of the reasons that I believe that God instructs us not to allow the sun to go down on our anger. Because what happens is, whatever this thing that we were thinking about, it's like a medium-sized, normal-sized problem. We go to bed angry, and that thing that was a regular, normal-sized, medium-sized problem turns into a supersize it for me, please. Like the supersized version of that. and Because and our, our mind starts to go in all manner of directions as we meditate on all the terrors of what it is that someone has done to us or the things that we're experiencing. So, a normal-sized problem turns to a super-sized problem. That's what happens with fatigue, and that's what happens when our mind starts to wander on them. The disciples are up against it. Now a ghost appeared. This ghost has come to hunt them down and destroy them. Isn't that why they were screaming out in fear? What is this? What is this guy going to do? They're screaming out. This is not like... Oh, they, they, were, they, were, they were mildly um, anxious. There's no dignity here. They're panicking, screaming like little schoolgirls. If you, that offends you, schoolgirls? Forgive me. Screaming like me. Ah! It's a ghost! What's going on? Real fear. Why did they think that Jesus was a ghost? It was dark out. They were tired, and they were in survival mode. 
You know what survival mode is. <laughs> You've lived it, survival mode. But you know, we've got this beautiful, beautiful thing. Matthew 14, 27, be on the screens. Matthew 14, 27, did I not put it up there? Sorry, I messed up. I done messed up. It says in Matthew 14, 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. But immediately. So, this is Matthew's inspired recounting of this. They see this Jesus walking toward them, near them. They say it's a ghost. They scream out in fear. And Matthew says, but immediately. In their panic, in their fear, Jesus spoke to them. One commentator writes, Jesus' reassuring words quieted their fears. Jesus' presence changes everything. Look at verse 19. It says, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. Verse 20, But He said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Matthew says, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, in verse 21, it says that they were glad to take him into the boat. <laughs> when they heard his words, immediately Jesus spoke to them. He saw their panic and fear. He spoke to them and said, take courage. It's Matthew's version. It is I. Don't be afraid. So they said, come on in. <laughs> Welcome. Now, Matthew talks about how Peter bids them to walk out. And Peter says, will you let me walk in the water? Tell me to come to you. He starts to drown. He says, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately takes care of them. They take him into the boat. So John only gets pieces of this. But I want for us to think just a little bit about take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The word take heart, that word take heart is the same expression that Jesus used in John 16.33. It's a familiar passage. I'm going to let this sit on you for a moment. It's on the screens for you. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus' presence changes everything. The peace that He offers is not your new way of learning how to deal with anxiety. The peace that He offers is not, hey, y'all shouldn't be anxious you better figure out a way to not be anxious anymore. Stop being afraid, scaredy cats. Figure out how to man up. Stop sniveling, whiny brats. Grow up. He says, here I am. 
I am your peace. I've come to you. I am your peace. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. His presence. He comes to us. He's present with us. He's in us. He's with us. He's for us. Take heart. It is I. The Greek translation here is ego emi. You've probably heard that before. You might not be able to immediately recant. What is that? I've heard someone has said ego emi before. The expression is I am. I am. Now it's properly translated, it is I. It's not necessarily that Jesus is making this over dramatic statement about the fact that he is the I am. However, the Gospel of John does regularly bring up I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. You know those I am statements. Later on in the John's accounting when the people come into the garden, where's, where's Jesus of Nazareth? I am. And they fall back. It is I. Jesus lets them know who exactly it is that is in their presence. You're afraid? Take courage. I'm here. Whether you're in a downtown city at a bad time of night in a location not so wonderful for you or you're out walking in a country pathway in West Greenwich. That same I am is there. Whether you're on this side of the ocean or the other one, the I am is right there with you. It's so good to know that no matter what we face, we don't face it on our own with our own resources, our own strength, even our own mindset, Jesus is present. And He changes everything. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. You've you've been panicking. You've been in fear. Stop panicking. Why? Why? Why stop panicking? Because I'm here. That's the reason. The reason that Jesus told them that they could stop the worries, stop the anxieties, stop the, the, the panic. I'm here. Haven't you seen me deal with disease and demons? Don't you remember that I just exercised authority over bread and fish? Take a look please with me at Mark chapter 4 for just a moment. Mark chapter 4. This is the second time in Mark's accounting you know, when, when we get to Mark 6, where, where is this the parallel to the passage we're talking about, that's the second time that the disciples experienced Jesus dealing with them in the, the powers of the sea. The first accounting of Jesus dealing with the disciples in the Gospel of Mark is in Mark 4 with regard to the sea. So in Mark chapter 4, 
Take a look beginning in verse 35. We'll see the first time in Mark's accounting that Jesus and the disciples encountered waves and, and sea and wind overtaking. It says, on that day when the evening had come, He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat just as He was. And other boats were with Him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were beating into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was panicked. No, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke Him and said to Him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still! And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with admiration. No. They were filled with fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? So we have this accounting. It helps us, I think, with the one we're reading through. They had already seen Jesus speak some words and still still the sea, still, still the water, and cause the wind to cease with, with words. And they were like, that's not normal. But this time, in the first time, they were, they were filled with great fear. Like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this. This next time, Saw him feed the 5,000 men plus children and women and children. They're going across. He's walking on the water. They're like, oh. all right. Jesus gets into the boat and immediately the waves chill out. This doesn't recount anything about Jesus. Uh, saying words for it to happen. He got in the boat and it stopped. Jesus' presence changes everything. No matter where we are, no matter what we experience, no matter what we face, your Savior is there. I want to remind you, let's see what time it is. I've got to move along here. I want to remind you of the Great Commission. Remember Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Because of that, go. Give the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I am with you. I am with you. Even to the end of the age. Even to the no matter where you are, I'm with you. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, makes this promise. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see that right in the middle of that passage? I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is our response to that? So we can confidently say, Will you read it with me? 
The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the, the response to, to God saying, I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to pull myself back for, from you. I'm never going to say, you know what? I've walked long enough with you. I'm done. God will never say that to His people. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the result of that is saying, okay, Lord, I know You're for me. I know You're with me. The Lord, the Lord has got me. I don't need to fear anything when He is with me. When Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. That's what uh, Matthew 14.30 says. And the result of that, I think I have this, I do. I'm making myself panic here this morning. You can say, peace be still up here. Those in the boat, will you read the next word? Worshipped Him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Those in the boat worshipped Him. That was the result of what they had just experienced. They worshipped Him. Mark says they were utterly astonished. Now bear with me for a moment. The literal rendering of the Greek words in Mark's Gospel is this. These are the words. They were utterly out of measure astonished in themselves. It's a lot of words to say this. Their minds were blown. That Jesus was walking on the water. That Jesus bid Peter come. Peter walked. Peter sunk. Jesus saved. Jesus got in the boat. All was well. And they said, you really are God. The people wanted to make you king because they want more bread. And they want freedom governmentally. They're all about the politics. Jesus came for more than bread and more than politics. He came to give life. He came to give you, to give me life. To know what real life is. To know what real peace is. To know what real joy is. To know that in place of the cravings of my heart that lead to, to empty, He provides fullness. This is who He is. Rather than the response to make Him king, to get what they wanted, like the crowd, the disciples worshipped Him as the One who always does what's right and needed. And this is... This is a response for us this morning. We read the Bible individually, together, study it together. We read the Bible and we want to see our God, our Savior, faithfully dealing with His people. We've seen Him show forth His authority over circumstances, over people. We see Him faithfully working We want to be impressed. We want to be in awe. We want to worship. We want to worship God as God. He's not just a God out there. 
A God who worked miracles over there. He's a God at hand. He's present. He's available. And He's still working today, tomorrow, and every day forever working, providing, and doing what is needed. And He's our God. And we're His people. So whatever comes our way, pain, sorrow, separation, shortage, whatever comes our way, He's with us. He's for us. And He's enough. He's enough. Oh, and by the way, when he got in the boat, they got to the other side. <laughs> Presto changeo. How far had they made it across? About two and a half, three miles. How far is it from side to side? About seven miles. Got in the boat. <laughs> Done. Jesus had told them to go there. Get there. Could have turned back, but they were commissioned. They tried everything that they knew to do. Many seafaring men, they had spent their lives on the sea. They knew all about it. They did everything they could, and they made no headway. And then Jesus showed up and got the job done. It's just the way it is. This is, here we are, working our way, trying to get it done. I learned it all in seminary. I learned it all in Bible college. This is what you do. This is how churches work. You've got your five-year plan and your ten-year plan, and you take your little flip charts, and you go to the neighbors, and you show them the flip charts. They'll all get saved. Everything will work out just the way that, that we have told you. We've got this program. Just It's plug and play. Take your, take your program, plug it in in New England, plug it in in California, plug it in in Mexico, over in you know, Bolivia. It works everywhere, because we We've got it all figured out. Eh, bump, not working. We try to get it done. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus told us to go across the sea. Let's do it. And we're stuck. And we can't do it. And Jesus shows up and it's done. You say, oh Lord, You're so good. His presence, His promise, it changes everything. We have His presence always and we have His promises laid before us and we just say, okay Lord, You've got this. Where do You want me to row? (laughs) Here I am. You go that way? Okay. (laughs) I assume I'll get there. (laughs) If something comes up, I'll do my best. I'll keep rowing. I'll I'll do the maneuvers. But it's not about my rowing. It's about Him. It's good news, friends. This passage is good news for us. We row in a direction with confidence because we've experienced this providing hand again and again. You know, the fears that we face in this life are real. But our Savior is better. He is peace. 
And He gives peace. Even in the middle of the storm. Even while it's just raging. Even while the, it just, it, we're, we're at the end of ourselves. Jesus comes. He is peace and provides peace. And we say, thank You, Lord. So our sermon is over. We've looked over this passage and I hope that you've gotten a sense of God's ability to give you peace by His promise and His presence. We have not, however, spoken about the most important peace that Jesus provides. And I want to take just a minute or two to say something of that in the next couple of minutes. The most important peace that Jesus provides, He provides perfectly, is peace with God. Jesus came and lived in this fallen world. He lived for us by mastering the law in our place. And then He laid down His life as a once-for-all, sin-removing sacrifice. And then He was raised. The work was fully accomplished. And Jesus, through His life, death, and resurrection, offers you eternal peace with God. He offers it to all who will turn from their own ways of trying to save themselves and turn to Him, asking Him to save them. I invite you today Talk right now with God. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to rescue you. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together. Father, You know what each one of us are facing. You know what each one of us needs. Help us to remember who you are, what you've said, and to remember that you are in us, with us, and for us. And we pray that that would still our fears and cause us to worship you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want for our hearts to be settled with the fact that you've promised and that you're with us. Help us to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.